0: And I'm with the Disability Channel in Burlington. I'm at the Halton Naval Association headquarters, and I'm interviewing a naval veteran, Andy Andy Barber. And this is Andy Barber. So thank you so much for coming in today.
1: Well, thank you very much, Kathy. It's uh, it's an honor. I'm grateful that uh, you chose me to do this, and also to be able to uh, speak. Uh, to those people in the Disability Channel, which I think is a marvelous channel, a marvelous organization.
0: Um, okay, Can, this first question, uh, the obvious one What made you join the Navy?
1: Well, I've asked, I get asked this question quite often when I go to speak to children in schools. <coughs> and um, back in uh, and 1950, I was in high school. And it wasn't doing too well at all. And uh, of course, in those days, uh, your parents always said to you, either go to school or you go to work. And so, uh, I got one of the best jobs. I eventually, got one of the best jobs any seventeen-year-old could ever have in the Canadian National Railways as one as well as a carman apprentice. That's a fellow that would repair cars, uh, freight cars, and Passenger cars and so on and so forth. They are teaching me, of course, all the trades: uh, carpentry, uh, steel work, uh, you name it. And um, so I was there for the better part of like a, about a year or so. And um, <clears throat> one day I was standing in the pay line and of course in those days you got your paycheck and a little brown envelope, and inside the envelope there was a little Breakdown of what your pay was, and I'm looking at thing, and i am annoyed by this, that everything I've been doing, they're taking income tax off. So I happen to say out loud, uh, "Damn, damn, they're taking that income tax off again today." <clears throat> and my brother-in-law's brother, who was a couple ahead of me in the in the lineup, he said to me, "He said, well, if you don't want to pay income tax, Andy, why don't you join the armed forces?" He says, "Why don't you?" Um, Heck, he says, join the Navy like I did. He said, who knows? He said, you could wind up maybe uh, one of the new carriers that the Navy has, or heck, you do even wind up over in Korea. I said, they don't take tax off? No, no, he said, the King Armed Forces, they don't take tax off, the, off your paycheck. <clears throat> well, I thought about it, and when I turned 18 at the crack of midnight the next day, I went up to HMCS down a corner in Montreal, <coughs> and I uh, got my application, and I filled it all out and brought it home for my mother and father to sign, which they wouldn't because they were, of course, we'd just gone through World War II, and we'd lost, uh, you know, all of our, some of our family members, and uh, they were not abused, uh, not happy with me uh, wanting to join, so they refused to sign, but they eventually did. And uh, so sure enough, there I was in the Navy, HMC is down a corner, and the first paycheck I got, believe it or not, there was income tax. Oh. And if I could have got my brother lost a uh, brother, I think R.G., I think I would have strangled him right there in the spot. But uh, the point was uh, that started a five-year adventure. And uh, that five- year adventure was that it had been of the best five years of my life. So that's why I joined. It was uh, sort of a silly reason, but I, uh, at that time, was did have a bit of a wanderlust in me, and I thought, you know, yeah, they, uh, maybe that's a good idea to go join the Navy.
0: Aren't you well worried about, you know, having the odds increasing of you dying young if you join the Navy?
1: Well, the funniest thing, and everybody, every veteran, I'll tell you this, is that uh, you always think it's the guy beside you that's going to get it, not you. Oh, you okay. Know? So... But at that time, as I say, uh, being young and stupid, you don't think about <laughs> those kind of things. Ignorance is bliss, as they say, until you get there, until you get into the action, and then it's no longer funny.
0: Okay. Um, can you tell us about the training you underwent? You heck, learned some really valuable stuff there.
1: Right. You see, back in the 50s, things were a lot different than they are today in the armed forces Back in the fifties, um, you got up to about seven or eight weeks of basic training, and what they did, of course, is they had to convert you from a civilian to a Canadian Forces member. In my case, a sailor. In a matter of that time, so you uh, you didn't have your mummy to make your bed or the meals or anything else. You know, there was you were being told what to do, when to do it, and how fast you could do it, and so on and so forth. So, it took about uh, seven to eight weeks, I think it was about eight weeks, and uh, then you became, uh, shall we say, graduated from what we call uh, basic training. And from basic training then, of course, uh, in those days, uh, you they were looking for certain trade groups. Uh, in my case, they were looking for communicators, and uh, visual communicators in particular. And uh, so they chose me to become a visual communicator along with a bunch of other fellows. Now, that was a bit of a strenuous course. It lasted roughly about eight months. Cool. And you had to learn the Morse code. You had to learn anything to do with, with visual communication. It's called silent communication in the war zone. And included in that, of course, is knowing um, all the different uh, flags that uh, uh, for signals at sea yeah. and so on and so forth. And also,
0: uh, what about, you know, the Morse code, isn't Morse code difficult? If I hear ta-ta-ta, ta-ta-ta-ta, it just goes right for me, you know?
1: Well, Morse code, basically, when you're learning, it's like learning a second language. And uh,
0: You already know French.
1: I do, but, but I'm not fluently anymore, but I do know it. Well, when it comes to Morse code, even today, I go aboard ship to Vida, which is, by the way, uh, down there at Pier 9 in uh, in. Hamilton, it's a, a national historic site. And I went to the radio room and I have the uh, children and the parents come aboard and I'll say to them, um, I'll explain what the radio room is about, the communication center is about. i will say to them, I say, what's your name? And then the fellow may say, uh, well, my name is Ryan. So I'll just go out a Morse code key and I'll go, di-da-dit, r-da-da-da-da-y, y di da A." Uh, I it and I said, there you are, and there's your name. Now you sit here, and you do it. And I have a big board, board like that, and the little guy sits there, and he goes, and he does it. And the pairs are thrilled. But uh, for me, that was a living. That's what I did for a living. But uh, I did not do that in the radio room. I did that up on the bridge. Uh-huh. Up on the bridge, and in the flag deck, we have 10-inch signal projectors. And for those today, uh, the ten-inch signal projector was my internet. Yeah, uh, that's how I communicated with all the ships. Because when you're in a war zone, yeah, you're gonna maintain radio silence. If you don't maintain radio silence, the uh, the bad guys can hear you, oh. and they can cause you some real, some real serious damage, even you know disaster. And so. Um, that's what I do and on the light 10-inch signal projector to uh, speak to all the different ships in the squadron. And of course, there's a larger one, which is uh, like a searchlight, a 20-inch signal projector. Again, you see Morse code. And if you go aboard the ship and look up on the yard arms, you're gonna see lights. And those lights, again, are connected to the Morse code key that's down on the flag deck. And so you're able to communicate great distances very silently without anybody uh, the, the enemy finding out about you. If the enemy can see it, that means they're in sight and you're in battle.
0: They can tell, right? So they
1: can tell. They'll tell it's you. Yeah. So we learned that. Um, also, I learned all the different uh, colors of the flags. There's a, a board ship, of course. There's a board ship. There's a uh, flag locker. and Then that flag locker. There's 26 uh, alphabetical flags. Um, there's a bunch of certain designated pennants that will like a uh, introduction. Um, there's 91 slots each and each one of those uh, flag lockers we have aboard, board like pigeon holes, okay, okay and you have little flags on the side. So for instance, if the um, commodore in charge of the squadron wants us all to turn, shall we say 10 degrees to port uh, he will um, we call bend on but he will connect. The um, turn flag, red for port, and the, the ten penny,
0: the tent
1: number. And so he'll put it up halfway. He will put ours up halfway. Oh. When he looks around and he sees everybody's got it up halfway, he goes right to the top of his and we go right to the top of ours. And then when he's ready to turn, he strikes it, we strike ours, and bang, all the ships turn exactly in the same direction at the same time. So that's called visual communication. And those flags, you had to know them. You were, uh, you had to be trained well enough to just reach in very quickly without even thinking. <clears throat> and and uh, they say connect those flags and put them up there and take them down. And the other thing, too, was semaphores. Now, semaphore is a lost art these days. Uh, girl guides and, and scouts used to do it in the old days.
0: What's semaphore?
1: Well, it's a um, series of two flags. Okay. And you hold them in a, such a position that each flag um, actually designates an, an alphabetic alphabetic uh, letter of the alphabet, yeah. A, B, C, etc. All the way around. And so by using those flags, you can speak to somebody, if they can read it, uh, without uh, causing any sound or whatever. And uh, many of the uh, funny things, we do go to schools and we do go to uh, events. One was in uh, downtown Toronto, one of the big halls. And I was doing the same thing, as I mentioned before, talking to the children. I'll show you how they say your name and that. And as I'm doing it, there's two ladies in the background. Yeah. And they're reading it. And I can hear them saying, you know, C-A-N. And I look over, and sure enough, they were in the girl guides. And they did learn semaphores as a part of their training in their girl guides, and they were able to read what I was saying. So I had to be very careful that I wasn't making any mistakes or using any crude language, you know. But uh, yeah, so that was the three facets of uh, of criminal, the visual communications. Number one, it was the using the lights for Morse code. Uh, number two, the flags for signaling uh, changes to the ship direction, and of course. Uh, semaphore before, if it's close enough that they can see you.
0: Wow, you learned a, a lot. It, it must have. Uh, I'm impressed. I'm definitely impressed with. Um, can you tell you tell us about your naval exercises on the um, you know HMCS Quebec, and you know right. and um,
1: well HMCS you know. Quebec uh, that was my first ship to go on. It was a uh, training ship. Uh, for the Royal Canadian Navy. It used to be HMS Uganda. Okay. The British um, actually uh, owned it or gave it to the Canadian Navy back in the 1940s and 50s. And um, our job again, What I was doing there was exactly what I just described to you as a visual signal man. But um, it was my first uh, chance to go to sea. And um, it was quite an experience because uh, I had never... And understood seasickness, but I uh, was seasick for one day. And um, now, what, what people don't realize what seasickness is in the back of your ears here, there are three channels with fluid going through me. You should know that. Yep. And uh, once they don't uh, the those the channels, off balance as far as liquid goes, then you start you being very uh, bilious. Um, anyhow, I uh, got aboard to go Quebec. We wound up uh, going over to Norway and uh, being part of the uh, United Nations, or say the NATO fleet over in Norway. And uh, our job, it was the place we went, in, uh, our job basically was to be play the part of the Bismarck. And this is in Narvik, Norway.
0: Is this is, I mean, is this sound, um, this sounds a little funny, playing the part of the Bismarck. This sounds like Teenagers having fun. I mean, to be honest, okay, you're going to whack me with this, but uh, are these really naval exercises? Absolutely.
1: Okay. And what it is is that it's not only a Canadian Navy over there. We've got the American Navy, the British Navy, the Australian Navy, the Zealand Navy, they're all United Nations, all NATO navies. Mm-hmm. Okay? And um, our job is to communicate with all of them in a realistic way um, Battle wow. uh, uh, scenario, and so in essence, uh, they were given to Quebec because we were the largest ship there, one of the largest ships there. The uh, the task of being the, uh, the uh, German ship Bismarck, their job was to sneak out of Narvik, Norway, and to then go amongst the other ships and sink them, which they. They oh, hold
0: on! You were thinking the Bismarck, or you were thinking...
1: Well, I was thinking like we're we're the enemy. Oh, you're the Bismarck? Yeah, we're the enemy. Okay, we're Bismarck, the enemy, ah. and the other ships, the Allies, uh, are uh, trying to find us and sink us. So our job was to sink them. Oh, and so that was quite the uh, quite the experience for me, uh, being a single man, watching all this going on and not knowing, you know, you'd you be. Uh, you on training, so you had to on the spot training. So you had to uh, to learn those things and where to stand, where to be, where you know what what's expected of you in a particular. situation.
0: Was this this naval commander of your boulder wheel character or something? Oh yeah, Butch Patrick
1: something? Patrick something? David Budge was his okay. name. He was a officer. It was a sailor's sailor's officer, and he had been in World War Two. He had been actually in World War One um World War Two and basically he uh, he was quite a quite a guy. He w- he was actually, by the way, unfortunately for us guys, he was a, also a communicator, a single oh. and so every mistake we made, he was really hard on us. He would say, Listen, that's not how you do it. You do it this way or that way. But um we had a bit of incidents in Narvik in Norway. When we went alongside they did not send out a pilot um Vessel to come bring us in. So he had to bring it alongside himself, which he's quite capable of doing. But um, with the tides and, and everything in Narvik and all the sunken vessels that were there from World War II, it became a dicey little thing to go through, which would have been much easier if we'd had a pilot on board to bring us alongside.
0: But, but Norwegian was communist. There's
1: he was. It's a, so, it was a socialist yeah. communist country at the time. So we went ashore, and one of the things he said uh, if you don't have what is known as, we call it Pusser Dirk knife, it's a seaman's knife, special knife, and uh, we use that for uh, doing different things aboard the ship, splicing and, and so on and so forth, go get one. And so we, and it would bring me back the bill. So we did, we went ashore, and uh, for some of us, uh, it was our first time, and uh, the restaurants were there. Uh, we went in and sat down, and the, uh, of course, being sailors, you always want to have a little bit of a, a drink, and uh, they served us as
0: Aquavit. Oh, they served you? Oh.
1: Yes. The trouble with the Aquavit, it was a drink we'd never heard of before, and it was as smooth as silk until a few hours later when it became less than smooth. Uh, so there was a few incidents that happened. And,
0: uh, they wouldn't feed you, would they? You?
1: Well, no. What happened was the um, we went into restaurants uh, for every reason. They didn't want to feed us. Now, again, we're a we're dem- shall we say we're part of a democracy or a freedom dem- and uh, so they didn't want to feed us. And so, one of our guys or a couple of our guys, having had the aquavit, uh, were going by a hospital and they saw this gurney full of food. And uh, decided they were going to help themselves. Uh, one guy uh, again decided he wanted to have the Norwegian flag, so he decided he would crawl up uh, the uh, flagpole or get the flag down from the flagpole to the city hall. And he took off his tunic and he wrapped it around himself and put his tunic back on, and uh, etc. So there was other we they, we couldn't get a, a cab to take us back to the
0: ship. Yeah,
1: and so. Uh, some of the guys uh, just absconded with bicycles, and uh, of course that was a lot of criminal offences there. And uh, but we got away. And uh, next day uh, we got a uh, Captain Budge got a uh, message from Prime Minister Louis Laurent. He was very very dismayed with the conduct of our thingy, and of course we were front page on Pravda, which is the uh, Probably it was a communist newspaper. Uh, Canadian Navy sailors chasing women through the streets with knives and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, of course, it was not true. There's only one or two of us. Of the 1,400 different people aboard that ship, there was maybe a couple of fools that did that. And um, so he was called us all together. And we thought, oh boy. Here it comes. We're going to have extra duty. We're going to be scrubbing decks. We're going to be painting. And he calls all together and he said, well, he said, uh, normally you all deserve severe discipline. He said, but under the circumstances in which they greeted our troops, our, our Navy sailors, he said, I'm not going to do that. He said, but just pay attention in the future when you go ashore that you're holding, you're wearing the uniform of your country. He said, so from now on, he said, you know, just be very careful when you go ashore and what you're doing. And he said, the reason he told us, he said, if they didn't want to treat us as with hospitality, then I know from my experience, he said that certain things are going to happen. And so uh, well, we sort of got off easy, God love us. But, uh, yeah, so uh, that was quite the incident. and that was my first uh, exposure to uh, sea duty and being ashore and so on, and so forth.
0: okay, okay. Um, I visited the Haida in Hamilton last weekend oh, and, yeah, and um, it's, it was better than I remember, it. I've seen it before, but I haven't seen it for about twenty years. We spent two hours there. You know it was a great experience. My brother was with us, and we couldn't film there though, but we're working on a permit to yeah. be able to film. Um, so I was wondering, can you tell me um about your time on the Haida? How did that come about?
1: Oh um, actually uh, i I had been on a small ship called HMCS La every I was over at the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, uh, yeah. And uh, we returned, I got drafted aboard HMCS Haida because she was going over to Korea. Oh. And uh, usually uh, when ships are going into a war zone, they try to get some of the more experienced uh, sailors as crew members, you know, okay. so, so they're being exposed to different things. And uh, so I got aboard the Haida. And I was, again, as mentioned, the signalman.
0: What a signal man. Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: that yeah. guy is like wave. They call us bunting okay. tossers or flag wavers or whatever you want to call it. But again, like I mentioned before, when you're in a war zone, you have to maintain radio silence, and the visual communicators are just what the most important people aboard that ship at time.
0: That's nice. You're yeah. important.
1: <laughs> yeah. But as far as it goes, I, I do take people on tours of the Haida, and I tell them all my stories and. If my friend Mike was here now, Mike Pencil, he would be saying, "And the waves crashed, and the sh-. so uh, yes, I do uh, explain different things about the ship and my experiences aboard it. You know, and
0: uh, it's fun." Um, what was your? What was the purpose of the Haida going to South North South Korea?
1: Right, was going to the Korean Peninsula. And the Haida actually is Canada's most famous warship. As uh, you know, as as it is described by many people, the uh, fighting a ship uh, uh, during World War II, uh, she had uh, this very distinguished record of 1,400 service vessels, 14 uh, service vessels that she saw. Yeah. Together with the submarine, and a lot of people don't know, but H.M.C.S. Haida, together with H.M.C.S. Huron, took the surrender of Norway from the Germans in World War II in May the 1945. They went okay. up the Trondheim Channel together, and they kept their guns pointed fore and aft because of the fact that there were still 88,000 uh, German soldiers and troops on, on land. That would have been a fair fight as far as I'm concerned, but, but seriously, uh, no, they had to. And uh, so, her reputation, Haida's reputation was made during World War II as a part of the 10th Flotilla over in uh, in England and, of course, Normandy and uh, those places. She also was a uh, part of a convoy uh, that went to Murmansk. Uh, the Russians were desperate uh, for food supplies and, and troops, etc. And Haida was one of the escorts along with the many other ships that escorted the uh, convoys over to Romansk.
0: Yeah, but Back to the islands, what you did. Right, okay. going back. To, uh, okay, you, you're not getting off so easily. Okay, <laughs> right. well, going, going
1: back to Korea. Yeah, we did go over there uh, in uh, July uh, 27, 1953. <clears throat> an armistice was declared and signed, uh, but a lot of people don't know this. Uh, that it was not signed by the politicians. Of side. It was signed by the heads of the military of oh. each nation that was involved there. Okay. And the second thing about that, I was that there was no peace treaty included. There was no what? No peace treaty. Oh. And the reason for that, uh, I, we have no idea, but the, the thing is that they did not include that, like they normally did in Armistice, they would have a peace treaty in uh, which both sides would agree to stop fighting and and you know end the war period. But they didn't do it. Uh, first of all, Sigmund Rhee, who was president of Korea at the time, yeah. he, um, he refused to sign it because he always had it in his mind that he wanted to have a united Korea. And so he wouldn't sign it. Together with the fact that there was some dispute about um, uh, prisoner exchange. And uh, so in essence, technically, as you see on the news today, those North and South Korea are still technically at war. They never signed a ceasefire or a, a peace treaty. They did sign a ceasefire, but not a peace treaty. So when we were over there, our job uh, during that time, here we got over there just after the armistice was signed. In February 54, our job was to go from island to island to island in the peninsula of Korea and make sure there was no buildup of troops and no buildup of the arms, etc. Now, one of the agreements with the armistice was that both military powers, okay, they could maintain the exact amount of power that they had over their troops, equipment, everything. Both sides, you can add to it. Only if somebody else uh, had to, uh, tell us leave. For instance, in our case, if there was a ship that went back home, then we could put another ship back in there to maintain that balance of power, as far as all of the uh, the peace treaty was, uh, or not peace treaty, but the uh, armistice called for. So our job was to go from island to island to island to island to make sure that there was no buildup of communist troops or supplies, etc. And if there was, then we of course uh, have to take action against it. Report it to the United Nations Command, who in turn would uh, give uh, the South Korean public of South Korea permission to go and uh, remove those people uh, from the island.
0: Did you, were you very careful? not to fire any weapons, or, I mean, you don't want to create a, a disturbance or uprising or...?
1: Well, yeah, I'm like that was again, of course, the uh, the captain of the ship or the commanders of that particular fleet, uh, the Admirals of that particular fleet that would uh, give us permission or not. The saddest thing about that type of thing is, when you're dealing with the United Nations, uh, if you want to fire a shot, Sometimes you have to go sixty through 16 different people to get permission. So it's really a weird, weird situation, okay. even in this, this day and age, uh, when our United Nations keepers are there. If they want to do something, they have to have permission from about four or five other overseers, countries, uh, to get that one thing done.
0: I thought... Okay, um, how do you how do you tell the difference between the North Koreans and the South Koreans? How can you tell whether they're not supposed to be there or not? I mean, they can dress well, up a I
1: Again, uh, that all goes back to uh, uh, first of all identification, because you uh, they don't they don't necessarily uh, dress or shall we say uh, act in the same way as. Uh, you know, average people that, that, are, that are supposed to be in your, in your war zone. You know, they, they're not, they start acting out of character type of thing to what you're used to. So that's one. But the, we always had a Republic of Korea uh, officer aboard. <clears throat> and uh, it was his job to, uh, now, a good example. Uh, when we go around island to island at night, uh, we'd be a, a dark ship and we would come across uh, these, what they call sandpans, or large fishing vessels. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, no, the baby dark. Now, in those days, there was no great GPS or a little bit of radar, but nothing that the uh, poor fishermen could afford. So, if they wanted to go to sleep or go to have some rest or stand down time, they would take the helm, which is where it's steering the ship, and they would, they would tie two ropes to it like this. Okay. And they would set a course that they'd be going around with their fishing nets out. So we come upon them.
0: I, oh, okay. And we'd say, you uh,
1: we'd well, we look at it them. crash
0: into them. Well, almost.
1: But we'd come back and then, Of course, our Republican officer would yell out to them, Hola, Nasio, Hola, Nasio, which is Korean, is good afternoon, David, good day, or hello. Um, and if there was no reply, then um, the captain or who was ever there, would, uh, usually the captain would say, Light them up, signalman. Now, we had this huge uh, 20th signal projector. It's like a searchlight. You see, okay. them. You see them at the vents there. And uh, inside, there was two carbon rods. Yeah. When they were lit, it was as bright as a summer day.
0: Okay. So, we'd hit them
1: with that. And more times, that woke them up. And they kept running up. And the first couple of times uh, we saw them, it was kind of funny uh, for us. I haven't seen them for the first time. And we'd be giggling, and they'd, knock it off, oh, right there. It's not funny. And uh, we found out why because a couple of them we stopped. they come up with the guns, but uh, but then if But
0: why why wasn't, why did they say knock it off? It's not
1: funny. Well, it's our our, our officer. Yeah. Why did
0: he say that? Well, it
1: wasn't funny. This is oh, a serious yes, situation. Yes, it is. It is. You, you don't know if you're going to get shot at. Oh whatever, yeah. If they had uh, uh, explosives aboard that could blow you and your ship up. So, uh, but, you know, we thought it was funny, but uh, it wasn't. And uh, certainly, uh, if that didn't work, if, if they didn't wake up with that, what we would do is we'd fire 40 millimeters, uh, a little 40 millimeter gun across the bow of the ship. Now, uh, that usually woke them up, and they'd come up, and they'd more frenzy, more frantic. But... Um,
0: um, can I ask you something? The sandpans, do they have a, 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 a lower deck part? Yes. They do. They, they're I keep vessel. thinking they're flat.
1: Yeah, they're, they're like built again more square than, and uh, the hulls were a little bit more square, but deeper. Oh. A little bit deeper. Okay. Because you know, they had to go into certain areas. But if they then, in the past, like, we, I don't recall this do we, to uh, maybe we did, but uh, if they turned away, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, we knew that they were a, uh, the enemy oh, or okay. bad guys, and okay. so uh, if they didn't stop, some of our ships put a couple of uh, shells right in the hull that would stop them. And then the okay. little gunboat that we had following us, the Republic of the gunboat, would come along and they would uh, take them prisoner and uh, bring them to the local island to local authorities and uh, incarcerate them. Uh, for an investigation, and so on and so forth. So that's what we did. We went, <clears throat> like I said, from island to island to ensure that there was no buildup of troops or communist uh, uh, equipment, uh trucks or cannons, because if they were able to infiltrate an island, then they could spy on everything that's going on around them. And they could tell their people what we're doing. And so we didn't want that.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Did you see dead bodies in the water yeah, or something? Occasionally,
1: yeah. Uh, <clears throat> occasionally they couldn't when it was sun, sunrise and uh, especially if we're in a harbor Pennyang do anchored off Pennyang do uh we couldn't tell if they were actually fishermen or if they were uh, enemy or friendly because their uh their uniforms would have been bleached white from the uh from the salt, you know, salt water. But yeah, then they, they, uh, what they did, uh, of course, when you die, those people, they, their body would have been bloated like a balloon. And the only way that you can recover them, of course, was to uh, clean it, and get rid of all the excess, and take Worst the body. First job, job was sure that. wasn't mine. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't it was glad so, that. Yeah, lucky. But here's the part of the medic team. Oh, here.
0: yeah paramedic. and
1: it's usually like part of the uh the gunboats well, the Republic of Korea uh, ships that were with us, uh, they got usually got that task, you know, but it was still uh, very ugly to see very ugly to see you know.
0: I bet um, you mentioned that in one article, I was looking at you know the memory project right. you the mem- yeah okay. You you mentioned you traveled up and down the Han Peninsula and the Han Estuary right. area. Right. Um that's very close to the Korean.
1: Right. <clears throat> one of our job uh, was we were one of the ships that was assigned occasionally to go up the Han River. Han estuary.
0: actual, actual Han River? Right
1: to, to, right to the, okay. to the uh, shall we say the uh both of it, and uh, to make sure that, and make sure that there's no communist crossing back and forth, because it was, it was so, it was like maybe a kilometer, two kilometer, two kilometers between North and South Korea. So a yeah. lot of them, yeah. a lot of people at that time were um, leaving North Korea to come to South Korea. Yeah. Now we didn't know if they were spies infiltrating uh, South Korea, if they were just. Poor farmers or whatever that were trying to get away. Our job was to sit up there and to make sure that. Of course, the communist guns would be staring down at us, and uh, it was high
0: up. It was high up. Oh well, yeah, they were, calling, yeah they were called. Oh. Uh, yeah, they were called. Oh,
1: yeah, bankmen's uh, shore batteries. That's a and They would the be called, They would be actually staring down at us, uh, and that's uh, all. So, you know, it was kind of scary. You know, at that would time.
0: They were they fire at you well, I mean... if
1: they thought that we were doing something aggressive, they would have had the opportunity. they did not have the same structure that we did in the United Nations. they had like uh, from top to bottom one, one voice talking open fire, and so uh, you know they they i think their their artillery commanders uh, did not have the local discretion they might have had local discretion, but they had to have permission from uh at that time.
0: They did have to
1: But yeah, so you never knew, you know.
0: Um, did you? What did you do if they did start firing or some airplane was buzzing at well, you or something?
1: Well, yeah, we, when we were out uh, anchoring off of the island of Pangang Do, which has changed the name now, by the way, can't think of it, it's a big long one now. Um, quite often we'd be out there just keeping an eye on things and we see these MiGs uh, in the distance, and of course, they're traveling at quite a high speed, but uh, uh, we were always hoping that when we saw them, we would, of course, go to action stations, but we were hoping that the uh, British and the American uh, planes would get up there and chase them off, which they normally did. But occasionally, yeah. um, we did have to go out into the peninsula of Korea and form what is known as a barrage. What
0: is that? What well, is that? What it is, I could. Cannot- is you'd
1: have if you could just visualize it, there'd be a series of ships in a circle.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And our job, you know, was to protect the, uh, the larger ships, which are the major ships in in the, uh, in, the in the actual fleet. And so their job okay. was to form a barrier around them so if the planes did come over, when you fire it up, there would be an actual wall of of bullets, etc. shells going up at these things. So they would fly into them, they have to fly into them yeah. in order to get out yeah. of major ships. So that's what we did. We formed a, a, a barrage, uh the oh. barrage formation. Didn't do it too often. I think I great call. No,
0: you fired, fired back at them. If we had to. Yeah. Well, we mm-hmm. never had yeah.
1: to. Oh. What happened was oh. they were either okay. chased off, or uh, taken care of by the uh, Americans or the uh, British or New Zealanders, whoever were flying up there.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, okay, how, you know, went back to right. the Haida, okay? Right. It did, it did, well, we're on the Haida anyway right now. So um, th- there were like 230 or 250 That's people right. in Haida. That's right. Wasn't that no. crowded? <laughs> <laughs> Not true no. fashion, no. Not true fashion, um, no. Uh, no. We went over
1: there, there was 250 uh, group at first, but we came back, to was 260 because we had a couple of uh, guys that did try to get a ride home. Uh, are they, are
0: they all on, uh, do, do you work yes. in shifts? Do yes. some people sleep and you work? Exactly. and ah.
1: You nailed it, ah. think That's exactly okay. what we did. Um, <clears throat> if I can think about it, uh, there's 250 aboard there, but um, like one-third would be, uh, you know, up on top on duty, shall I say, duty watch. Well, one-third would be up during the day up there doing maintenance on the ship or, or doing... Um, um, Practicing their exercises, what okay. they're doing for their job, and the other one third would be standing down, or they'd be down below catching their, um, their forty winks and getting their sleep, etc. So, uh, you know, there was never—I—I I never felt that felt that it was crowded. No, uh, no, no? you not have, to, you well, didn't have forget, to go I was about that size, a Believe it or not, I was 135, 140 pounds when I was in the navy. But uh, no one will ever see that again. But, uh, but in essence, no, we, uh, we moved about quite, quite easily. And everybody had their own part of the ship. Uh, they, they had the Stokers, what they call mess, which is where all the Stokers accumulated. They ate, they slept, they uh, wrote letters home, and everything in these mess decks. We all had our own mess. Then. So when you dispersed, even if it was two-thirds of us aboard the ship, we would be going back to different parts of the ship. Which were isolated, obviously, with uh, bulkheads. We call them the walls. We want to call it that. In order that the whole ship is designed to become immediately watertight once it becomes, a, if it ever got,
0: maybe, uh, watertight. Oh, okay. watertight.
1: Oh, okay. Watertight. What happens is either if you're in a storm or if you're in action, um, the entire ship is dogged down. Otherwise, all the hatches and doors are closed, and they're secured, so that no water can get in. The ship becomes, you know, bisection by section becomes basically uh, self-sustaining. And yeah. so, um, that's so, that's so yeah, brief. well, in essence, because of that, because you had all the different people spread throughout the ship, don't forget there was three three levels uh-huh. of the ship. Uh-huh. Okay, the okay. first level was the main, the main deck. The next one, was a bunch, another group of uh, decks with the ship, and the third one down was another one. That's where the supply people uh, slept in that. But, but in essence, yeah, so it wasn't really that crowded because you dispersed and you were sitting in your own mess deck and talking to your own guys. Our mess deck, we had about 20 people there. What was the
0: food, what was the food like? Well,
1: when you're young, uh, you don't care, <laughs> you know. You, okay. were very good, by the way. I, I don't recall, <clears throat> I don't recall ever having any problems uh, consuming what I've been given, and uh, oh, that was okay. the other thing. Uh, they taught you in the uh, navy how to wash dishes, how to do all sorts of things that you would not normally do as a as a youngster this day and age. Um, yeah. So, for instance, every day it would be two of us assigned to what I call mess yeah. duty. And what we okay. would do is, our job would be to go and to get the meals, bring it, dish it out to all the uh, the guys. Uh, and if if they wouldn't got their then it didn't matter. Um, we then had to wash up all the dishes, make sure the deck was nice and clean, and and uh, because aboard ship, believe it or not, um, there hygiene was a, was a very very high priority. Hygiene, making yeah. sure that everything was clean, because if something spread, you can imagine what would happen with uh, 250 guys aboard the ship.
0: Okay. Yeah. It all gets Yeah,
1: and so, so in essence, that uh, we did. There was mistakes we belonged to. Uh, each each one, of the stokers had theirs, the electricians had theirs, the uh, communicators had theirs. They, everybody had their own, and of course, the officers had the wardroom, and their uh, their cabins down below. So. If you got 250 people aboard the ship, when you stand down, okay, you're you're not really bumping into each other because you're in your own little section, okay. which I come okay. to. And even at that, that little section, it could become a bit crowded because you slept in hammocks. Yeah. That was, yeah. That
0: was yeah. Really Do great. you have your own hammocks? Do you put your own hammock up and then take Absolutely. it down when you're Absolutely. done?
1: Absolutely. Oh. Uh, yep. Oh. Every morning. Every night. Uh, when You come uh-huh. out duty. You slung your hammock up. You you, you chose your own position, uh, depending on seniority. You know, like that senior guy had his own choice of anywhere he wanted. And the next and so on and so forth. But in essence, uh, yeah. So we would sling our mix and uh, fall into midnight. at night. And I can tell you right now, it was one of the best sleeps anybody could have. Well, you can imagine in the summertime, people laying in a hammock in their backyard. Well, if you're aboard ship and the ship is going all over the place. Uh, that hammock just went with it, and you were like rocked like a baby, yeah. and, uh, and of course in the morning uh, at about 6:25 there would be the pipe, <whistles> wakey wakey, rise and shine, yeah. and so yeah. we got up and uh, we did our hammocks and put them in our hammock rack, cool. and went and got on our on our on our way, and of course we went into the washroom. And of course, that's when we uh, got in there, and uh, sometimes shaved or and washed up. Uh, one of the things that people aboard ship are are quite uh, amused about, if you want to call it that, is when you, had, when you never took a shower when you were at sea. You
0: never take a shower. You no, you were not allowed to.
1: The reason for it is to take, for instance, the case of the Haida. It's a steam-driven ship. And it needs okay. all the potable water that it can use to drive that ship to convert it into steam. And so when oh. you left port, you had 550 tons of uh, water that was uh, given to you uh, when you left port. But when a steam-driven ship, you're going to lose about 7 tons of water a day. And that had to be brought in from the ocean to a huge filtration system. Yeah. And then yeah. after that, it was then converted into potable and fresh water. So it was used mostly, for instance, uh, for running the ship and for the uh, medical people aboard. They needed it to make sure they had hot water. Then, of course, the officers got theirs and then, you know, came to wires, Well, we never, never got a chance to take a shower. Uh, but unless we are out, and sometimes you're out 40 days, uh, uh, out, uh, out, out on patrol. Oh, okay. Because... You were normally replaced after 25 days with another ship. If that other ship broke down and couldn't get there, then you stayed. And so quite often we were there. So then, of course, you become a little bit rank, and and you needed to have a shower. And so you had three minutes. Uh You stepped inside the shower, you turned it on, you got wet, you Uh turned it off, you soaked yourself, you stepped back inside that shower, and you let the water... Wash off the soap, and then you stepped out and you dried yourself, and that was it. Next guys. And uh, if you talk more than three minutes, or it took more than three minutes, then all your mates would be up along along the passageway with their towels wrapped around their neck, and they're waiting for you to get out. And if you were too late, they'd take it and whack! They'd whip you in the behind, and you would oh. have a sore behind for about an hour. But... Uh, so that
0: that would that that was your wake
1: up call. You made sure it never happened to
0: you again. Can't you just jump? Can't you just jump off the uh, ship and go for a swim and then back climb back on if you the want ship? Not live. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: oh, okay. What do you mean? <laughs> well, the ship <laughs> it was moving. You oh, I uh, oh, I see. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, number two, even okay. if it is alongside, even if it's not moving, and you're in, shall we say, the Sea of Japan? Yeah. And that water is yeah. cold. Oh. But we did oh, do okay. it we were in uh, in the Gulf Stream. After the war, we came back from Korea, and we did uh, naval exercises in the Gulf Stream. And, of course, uh, we were able to, because the Gulf Stream is like a sheet of glass, and it's warm. Yeah. And we were able to get in there. We would have regattas, you know, uh, with rowboats and so on and so forth. And you were able to go swimming over the side. But the other thing, too, is you had guys walking around the ship with a rifle, to make sure that the sharks didn't get you. So, oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Uh,
1: yeah, so you could go swimming over the side uh, okay. in, in peacetime, but.
0: You Do you sharks. mention sharks? Cuts you guys caught some sharks. Right. Sharks. What, happened right. what happened there?
1: <laughs> well, I wasn't, I was not involved. I, I absolved myself from all of that. Um, <clears throat> we were, and it happened the same particular day, we were in a Gulf Stream. And, uh, you know, every, every guy. And some of the guys uh, noticed there were sharks around. That's so what one of the guys, one of the stokers, did together with the cook. Cro- the they got a big grappling hook, which is like a big uh, steel hook. They put meat on it, yeah. threw it over the side. Sure yeah. Yeah. enough, bang, they got a hit. Oh, so they oh, pulled okay. it up, and the guys took uh-huh. their rifle and they fired and, and shot uh-huh. the shark. And they okay. brought it up on board. And we were all saying, Oh boy, we're gonna have shark steaks for supper. Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden the executive officer showed up and he said, Get that damn thing off my deck
0: now. Why? Why? I mean, Why? You, I mean you, you can you could have shark steaks. They're saving money for food. No.
1: No. Even no? at that time there was an environmental friendly situation going on and you were not allowed to take uh, you know, the shall we say, an endangered species and use it for your supper. So uh, we actually had to uh, throw the thing back over the side, and it swam away oh. after all oh. this. You know, yeah. So uh, you know how long I lived, but uh, no, I, uh, he, uh, he didn't want to have that, so that was it. And don't ask me the reason, uh, I can't tell you, other than the fact that uh, he decided this was not going to happen, not on his ship.
0: The Haida was in, you took, you went back to Canada on Haida at some right. point. Uh, what happened? There was a, a tropical storm.
1: Oh, right. Well, oh, right. we were still over there. Uh, we were on station until September On August the 26th, 1954. Uh, we were returning from Tokyo. We were, if I recall, we were the guest ship <coughs> for Louis Saint Laurent, our prime minister at the time. and. Uh, We spotted the storm, I guess, and they tried to get around it to a certain extent, but they couldn't. So we went through it, and um, it was quite severe. The ship almost sunk. As a matter of fact. Okay. uh, Give an example. Um, The distance from the waterline to the bridge is uh, uh, forty feet or thirteen meters. Okay. But there was only four of us up on the bridge. There was the captain, the officer of watch, one lookout, and myself.
0: Everybody else was
1: down below, and as I mentioned before, everything was just tightened down strong right now. And we look up, and I could see the waves. They were about 65 feet, or shall we say, 30 meters almost high, breaking over the top of the ship. And the ship would go down, and the back of the ship would come out of the water, and the big propellers would...
0: Do you mean mean, um, the... Front of the ship would go down, the
1: back the of, the of the ship at Oh, and the, and the, oh. uh, the propellers—we call them screws—would uh, would vibrate, and the whole ship would shake. Then we get back down, and we we're doing this, uh, and, and you know, we were very, very concerning. Uh, and all of a sudden, we got caught with a confluence of waves, of where you came aboard the ship uh, the other day. We got caught conf- with a confluence of waves, if I recall, on the port port aft. And the whole ship started to somersault, uh, oh
0: turn wow. upside down, turn upside down just oh, rolled okay. over. Um, you mean yeah. sideways.
1: And okay. uh, luckily for us, uh, a confluence of waves and uh, wind came back the other way and brought us back up again. And I can recall I was standing, me to you, away from Captain Charles. And Because mm-hmm. we were all scrunched in the corner, yeah. and I could hear him yeah. say, come on, girl, you can do it, you can do it, and, you, yeah. and God was in our corner, and uh, the ship righted itself, we come up to the top of the waves, and boom, the ship stopped dead for about five seconds or so, maybe longer. You know, I, I can recall the going into the water, and then we went back down again. We were in that for 16 hours.
0: Cool. How did how were you able to stand it? Were you frightened? Were you bringing mm-hmm. up? How, how, what was your Standing
1: reaction? Standing is a uh, a new point, a mute point. Yeah, most of the time. You had to hold on to everything. Down below there was guys that were tossed up against the uh, we call them bulkheads or walls of the ship. Some were against the deckheads, which is the ceilings uh, of the ship, and um, they were had um, broken arms or. Faces or whatever, uh, and eventually, five of them had to make their way to sickbay sick bay to be treated. And uh, I know this because I had to go to Ottawa to uh, dig out some records uh, from the Haida, and then that was one of them, that was one of the things there. So, in essence, uh, yeah, is, you say standing up, well, that was, uh, we, we, you know, we were able to do that. And eventually we were able to turn the ship around and get what is known as way on, which we just basically surfed. but the problem is <clears throat> there's only seventy five miles between communist China and Japan in the street of uh, in the Formosa, and we were starting to drift North over China. towards you know communist uh, China. China. And China I could imagine <clears throat> the phone call between Mayo de Zong. And we sailed around, saying, "What do you want us to do with your ship?" but uh eventually we were able to turn it around and head back. we finally got back safely to Sasebo, Japan. Now, when that wave hit, if you look aboard the ship, you saw these two big pieces of steel, they were called davits, and they held the boats okay. and the captain's, okay. cap, captain's uh, cutter was on there, and he had just spent about five $1, thousand nineteen fifty four dollars fifty three dollars. Uh, getting all,
0: getting all fifty-three dollars,
1: 1953 dollars. Okay. And it was to uh, make it all like gussied up nice for the for uh, the prime minister. When that wave hit, it just turned that thing almost into kindling, and uh, bent two big steel davits. Uh, mm-hmm. And down below, there was like there was all different parts of the ship were damaged. We were able to get back into Board Japan, and we went in there and they were able to, to do the repairs and uh, give us a new, uh, yeah, oh, geez. so it was quite the experience, and I, uh, yeah, that was uh, the time I thought for sure I, I was goner, you know,
0: um, Okay, I better start winding it up a little bit. Um, In an insight, oh, Halton article, you said that because of your wartime experiences, your the sense of values is totally different from everybody else's. My recollection of things, different things I've seen throughout the world, war and the world are totally different than anybody else. Can you elaborate? What do you mean?
1: Well, I guess any any veteran anywhere yeah. who has been yeah. involved in any type of peacekeeping, uh, Active peacekeeping or any world war, such as World War Two in Korea, World War One. You don't know what you're getting into until you get there, and your sense of anxiety for your own well-being and those around you, um, and just all the frivolous things that you normally would be in as, as a shall we say, a civilian, that becomes totally. Um, Consequential. Because from the moment you wake up in the morning until the moment you go to sleep at night, your well being, your your bent, you're set together to assure that you're going to survive. And so, because of that, your total outlook on life, uh, you have an extreme extreme
0: sense of purpose. Exactly.
1: exactly. So, the whole thing is that it's hard to explain, but First of all, you're, you're in a completely different atmosphere as you'd ever be when you're at home. You're with, as like I said, 250 guys aboard a ship. You're all there for a certain purpose. Your concentration is towards uh, that objective, you know, as small as your little part might be. It's like a chain, you know, you're as strong as the guy beside you. So that whole milieu of being aboard a ship is so foreign and different to anything you've ever done in your life at home. Or with your friends and family, um, that it it just changes all of your your values to a certain extent. Uh, You no longer uh, are petty about a lot of things. You're no longer um, complaining a lot. Sometimes we do, obviously, we're only human. But uh, when you come back on to leave the armed forces and go back into civilian life. Many things what people think are so so uh, serious. You look at them and say, "What?" You know, okay. when you consider that you know you just stuck your neck out there. Uh, like what? Huh? Like what? Well, for instance, um, who uh, whose room is where at home? Uh, we don't care in maybe uh, You all had the same room. You know, when you go to you live in a house yeah. with your family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your sisters, yeah. or your brothers have this and this and this, yeah. and there's always fights yeah. over. I want that. I want that. Yeah. Never yeah. ever, okay. you know. Okay. When it comes to uh, even for uh, religion, uh, we had and, and race and religion. We we had no qualms yeah. whatsoever. Uh, having been in the armed forces and having gone shoulder to shoulder with the guy beside you, it, it didn't matter you you what his religion or his his politics, war or, or his race was. Because you're there with him. You're one. Yeah, you one. go to the civilian street, and you see all these petty people yapping and arguing, and the hatred going around, you say, what? You you haven't seen okay. anything until you get into a war zone. You know?
0: You know? So I guess, so the, South I guess the South Koreans are very appreciative oh yes. of you.
1: This medal we have here, yeah. like I say, I yes. call it my own yes. wellness belt. Uh, uh, yes. It been given to us by the, uh, by the World, World Church of Peace in Korea. Most of the medals we have here uh, come from there. A little of for volunteer uh, duties. But uh, yeah, the, uh, definitely. Uh,
0: they, they sent you masks during COVID. Yes, they, they, doing the, the well. by that
1: was beautiful of them. The, the South Korean people, uh, they just love. Those uh, 24 nations, 18 at the beginning, but 24 at the end, nations that went to their rescue. And they can't do enough. They, it was because of their uh, stepping in there and helping them uh, that they, uh, they appreciate it. You sent us masks during COVID twice. I, did you know, myself personally, had over 80 masks that were given to me. Okay. Um, every time we go anywhere, if we have like a Korean event, and the Korean people are sponsoring it, such as we did back in the uh, 23rd of July here in this club, they always have a gift for the veterans. Oh. Uh, the, the, oh. they, 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 as far as they're concerned, veterans can walk on water. You know, they're just, uh, Korean people are just so... We went over there in 2010 and a revisit, yeah. and uh, yeah. we had roughly about... Uh, Of course, we thought, we're going to fly in there, and uh, we're going to wind up sleeping in Navy barracks. No. No. You're all there in a five-star hotel l'otte, world-renowned.
0: For how long? long? One day? No,
1: for a week. A week? For a week? A week? Oh, Oh, five-star for a week. I'm telling you, I I often joke and said, uh, I went into the room, it was so beautiful, uh, I wanted to wear my clothes to bed, so I wouldn't dirty the sheets. Elk. But uh, but in essence, though, so that's how they were. They treated us, or oh, they wined us and dined us, and they were just they South Korean people cannot do enough for any United Nations person that went over there, or anybody that went over there to help them, rebuild their country, or, or protect their country. I I just I just marvel at them. I'm embarrassed at times in some of the gifts that they give me watches, oh, and, okay. and uh, scarves, and, and oh, everything, and, uh, and they, 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 it's their tradition. Oh, you know? oh and okay. That, you look, uh, there's a medal here.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That is actually the Republic of Korea, Korea war medal. Oh. We have brought oh. um, five, we wanted to bring to 12. We, we were always going the other way. The, the Minister of uh, Patriots and Veterans Affairs in Korea, they are always inviting United Nations troops back uh, for anniversaries. We were there in 2010. And on the way home, we decided we wanted to bring some of their troops over. And so, to make a long story short, we did eventually get five uh, Republic of Korea veterans that were in the battles with our Korea War veterans. Yeah. For myself. Yeah. And. Um, so at the end of it all, we had a big banquet that night in Ottawa. So the owner Martin's there, and all the dignitaries.
0: And uh,
1: when, the, was the when was the
0: this? This twenty ten. Oh, okay. Oh, and, okay. Oh, no, twenty thirteen. pardon oh, 2013,
1: okay. 2013 Oh, okay. And uh, they had we had signed, but they called the Kimchi Girls. They were young the ladies that spoke both English and Korean, and because we didn't speak Korean, and anyhow, so the date of this night, this banquet. Everybody's being tired and very very sentimental about going back. And one guy fella jumps up, and veterans jumps up, and he takes this off of his jacket, yeah. and he yeah. pins it on me. He gives it to uh. me, and I'm going like. The, the kimchi girls were saying yes, because in the Oriental society, when they give you a gift, it's an insult. And you don't accept it. At all. Oh. So I was rather embarrassed. But this is the act okay. of, this is the Republic of Korea war medal that, okay. that he that he gave to me. Oh, don't worry, he told me I'll get another one. Uh, <laughs> so you know that that uh, that just explained, uh, just showed you the amount of uh, love and admiration that they have for anybody that's gone to their country to try and help them rebuild it and save it.
0: Can you maybe tell us? About
1: well, I will do my best. <laughs> I okay. I
0: okay, first one
1: here is the uh, <clears throat> the Korean War medal. Okay,
0: okay. from the mm. Koreans. Oh,
1: this okay. Canadian. okay. All these medals are issued by Canada. By Canada, all these medals are issued by Canada. Oh, okay. okay? Oh, okay. Anything that's issued by a foreign country or anybody else is over in Iran, so. So Oh, okay. The second one is a NATO. The NATO Medal, My exercise, exercises, or serving in NATO, and with the Korean clasp on it. This one is the Canadian Peacekeeper Service Medal, which most uh, service members do, Canadian Forces members do get. This one here is the United Nations Medal with the uh, Korean clasp on it. The next one over is the, uh, should be the uh, Veterans Affairs combination for Volunteer. So sort of by Elizabeth, okay. the other one's the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal, and this one here at the end is a Sigmund Reed Medal, uh, which was the S- S- yeah. President of Korea when he yeah. started in India. and ended. Yeah,
0: uh,
1: he didn't put it on you, no, did he? No, no. These, these, he were, given us. He these were given to dead all these were given. All these were given by the Canadian government oh. as re- recognition of our service. over there. So that's what they are. Of course, this big one, like I said, was given to us by uh, a church called the. Church of World Peace uh, for being over there and maintaining uh, peace and peacekeeping in in Korea
0: well you you do sacrifice a lot you you go there and who knows what can happen, so you know you're prepared to give your right, life. Well you
1: go back to, uh, I'm talking uh, sixty nine years ago, and you know, that's not even a second thought. you don't even think of any of this. You know, this all uh, accumulates over time, and uh, you wind up with all these medals, uh, etc. Uh, and you know, i very thankful and very grateful for having you, but uh, doesn't really. I, I don't.
0: I, I know it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. No. What matters yep, is no, that you yep. did good. Well,
1: I, we are. We did. I always call it a we because uh there's uh, other guys aboard that ship other members of uh, the Arcadian forces that sacrificed their lives over there and, uh, and so on and so forth so uh yeah we did good
0: <laughs> you did. Yeah. yeah well thank you very very much for your service i mean you know we need more people like you in this well, world geez. definitely well,
1: there's some people that might uh, disagree with that yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so guys. much. Have, Thank a good time. Time. Have a good <laughs>